I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. Luke 7, verses 36 through 50, for the message entitled, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Christ speaks to the problem of spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. This is a short story. There's a parable inside this short story. This is a short story made for TV. I'm surprised Hollywood hasn't done something with this. It's the story of the preacher and the prostitute. Hollywood could do something with that. It's a dinner invitation. It's a polite occasion. It's a happy moment when Jesus comes to share a meal with the Pharisee until an unexpected person crashes the party. And what happens then? Now, before I jump into this, two bits of background. Number one, in that day, 2,000 years ago, dinner parties tended to be held in open courtyards. It was done that way on purpose. So that you would have the host, you would have the guest, you have others who were invited to the party, but it was completely common and completely acceptable for passers-by, for neighbors, for uninvited guests to stand around the courtyard and to discuss what was happening at the party. You could talk about who was there. You could talk about what they were wearing. You could talk about the meal as it was being served. And you could listen to the conversation around the table. And so you could actually have a conversation around the table. And then you could have a whole lot of other conversations going around along the outside. That was normal. That was typical. Something like that is happening here in Luke chapter 7. So that's number one. Dinner parties, open courtyard, observers watching and discussing the events. Second, whenever you were going to invite somebody over to your house for a dinner party, it was customary and it was polite to do three things for your guest. Number one, when they arrived, you would give them a basin of water. They would bathe their own feet and because you know they that they walked the dusty roads to get there, so they would wash off the dust. Second, you would greet them with a kiss on the cheek, similar to a handshake or a hug today. Third, you would give them olive oil. They would anoint their head, and that would cut some of the dust, and it 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 made the face to shine. So, if you're going to have a party, always, always the water for the feet. Kiss on the cheek, the olive oil for anointing the head. If you omitted those three things, that was a serious breach of etiquette. If you had a dinner party 
and invited people over and did not do those things, that would be a way of saying, you're welcome, but I really am not that glad you're here. Welcome, but don't stay too long. Something like that. So those two facts help us understand this story. As I read it, here's what it seems to me. It seems like a little drama that plays itself out in five acts. That's why I think Hollywood could do something with this. Before we start all that, I'll just read the text. The first two verses introduce us to the three key players in this story. Verse 36, Luke 7. When one of the Pharisees, there's your first person, invited Jesus, there's your second person, to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman, there's your third person, in that town who lived a sinful life. Now stop here. And I just say, honestly, when the text says, a woman who lived a sinful life, that's a Jewish euphemism. That's a polite way of saying she was a prostitute. She was a woman of the street. She was a woman who sold her body for money. And she was known to the entire town. So you have the Pharisee, a religious rule keeper. You've got Jesus the Savior, and you've got this unlikely woman who had lived a sinful life when she heard Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with, we are told, an alabaster jar of perfume. With that as background then, let us now go to the King David Theater in Jerusalem. And let us be seated. As we find our seats, the curtain rises on Act 1. Playing it safe. Curtain rises. We see before us a U-shaped table in the center of the stage. It's very low, like this. So you couldn't sit at a normal chair like we have today. It was so low to the ground. The only way to eat at that table was to stretch out on, on pillows or sofas and rest this way. So you had one hand for gesturing, one hand for eating, one hand, this, this hand would hold up. So you've got Simon here, the Pharisee. You've got Jesus here. You've got the meal. Here's the interesting thing. Every, every text of the Bible has its own challenge. And right up front, we face the challenge of this text. We see before us a man named Simon. We know three things about him from this story. Number one, he is a Pharisee. That means he's trained in the law. That means he's religious. That means he knows what we call the Old Testament. He knows and believes the Torah of God. He's a very religious man. Second, he has invited Jesus to his house. Which means he must be, at some level, interested in this upstart rabbi from Nazareth. This great preacher. This miracle worker. This man who has set the whole nation abuzz. Simon's heard many things about this man Jesus. And he wants to meet him. He wants to hear from him. He's interested in what Jesus has to say. But here's the third fact. 
We're going to discover this later. But I'm bringing it up front because it's the conundrum of the story. Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to his home for a meal. But as we're going to discover, he does not show him the normal courtesy any man would deserve. That is so interesting. If you're going to invite Jesus, if you're going to have a dinner party, why wouldn't you give Him the water? Why wouldn't you kiss Him on the cheek? Why wouldn't you give Him the olive oil? So I think that's telling us something. It's the conundrum. It's the mystery of this story. Why do you invite Jesus? It's as if you are interested in Him, but you want to keep Him at arm's length. So I'm going to tell you the way I understand Simon the Pharisee. I think... He's a Pharisee, but evidently, maybe he's not a very good Pharisee. He's broad-minded, but he's careful. He's not deeply involved in anything. He's heard all the talk about Jesus. And he's curious about this young rabbi from Nazareth. Some of his fellow Pharisees don't like Jesus, and they've been spreading wild rumors about him. But Simon is a broad-minded man. He knows what people are saying, but he wants to make up his mind. He's not committed to Jesus. He's not committed against Jesus. And so, here's the way I understand this. He invites Jesus over. But watch this. This is just my interpretation. It's a casual meal. You're inviting somebody over. But it's the kind of meal where you keep the good china locked up. You bring out the everyday stuff. The good stuff you sort of keep away for a more special occasion. So he's interested in Jesus, but he's uncommitted. In that sense, he's urbane. He's polished. Maybe you would say he's adaptable. Adaptable. Again, this is the way I look at it. He's the kind of religious man who would fit in in Chicago or New York or Washington, D.C. Religious but unwilling to make a true commitment. A classic middle-of-the-road man. So, all is going well as the curtain falls on Act 1. Act 2, the gatecrasher. The meal is underway. People are watching along the sides. One course is served and another course is served. And Simon and Jesus are engaged in, in animated conversation. And suddenly, without warning, without preparation, without expectation, without any announcement, a woman enters the scene. A woman, we are told, who was from that town, from that village, which meant everybody knew her. A woman who was a sinner. Wait a, minute. Wait a minute. I've already said that that phrase is a euphemistic, careful way of saying she was a prostitute. She was a woman who sold her body for money. Here is the irony of this story. On one side of the spectrum, there is this woman. On the other side of the spectrum, there is Simon the Pharisee. They are as far apart culturally as they could be. They are as far apart in terms of open religion as they could be. And in terms of reputation in the community. They could not be 
farther apart. This woman over here and this man over here. And here is the truth in normal everyday life in that village. This woman and that man would never have anything to do with each other. If he saw her, he would go to the other side of the street. If she saw him, she would ignore him. He would not speak to her. She would not speak to him. They were worlds apart. And yet in the middle, in the middle is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And though these two, this man and this woman, would never meet each other, they are brought together at the same meal because both of them want to meet Jesus. I've already told you how I view Simon the Pharisee, a careful, classic, uncommitted, middle-of-the-road, broad-minded, religious man. This woman is quite different. It's obvious she knew about Jesus already. Let me just say this. No matter what else you may think about this woman, she's a good judge of men. Because in her business, in her line of work, she has heard everything. She's heard every story. She's heard every come on. She's been lied to. She's been mistreated. She's been abused. Men have used her and thrown her away. Walked away laughing. She's heard it all. And I'll tell you what it's done for her. It's made her a very good judge of men. And what she knew is this man, Jesus, is different. She saw in Him something different. She saw in Him a purity and a holiness that she had never experienced before. And I think it's clear when you read this story. It's not as if she didn't know who Jesus was. She had heard about Him. And I'll bet from some of her friends she had heard stories about this amazing, miracle-working man from Nazareth. And there was something different about Him. She comes to meet Him at this dinner party. I think she knew Jesus was not going to use her and then throw her away. Verse 37 makes the point there was a woman in that town. They all knew her. And I imagine those standing around the edge of the dinner party must have said to them, there must have been a murmur through the crowd, what's a woman like her doing here? You read the text, you can see for yourself what she does. She came because she intends to anoint Jesus' feet with expensive perfume. But standing behind Him, listening to His voice, knowing the power of His godly life, not really knowing everything about Him, but knowing He is different, she begins to weep and she cannot stop. And as she cries, her tears fall on Jesus' feet. And she does something then that no Jewish woman would normally ever do in public. She let down her hair, which might be the most shocking thing in this whole story. She lets down her hair. She dries His feet with her hair. She smothers His feet with kisses. And finally... Taking the alabaster vial, she anoints his feet with the perfume. You may say, that's an odd thing to do. Actually, I think it's exactly how a woman like her would react. She's generous. She's affectionate. She's impulsive. She's demonstrative. She's emotional. She's passionate. She's uninhibited. Here's the question. Why is she weeping? Why is she weeping? She's weeping 
Because she loves Jesus and she isn't afraid to show it. She stands to honor His greatness. She weeps, overwhelmed with sorrow over her past. She wipes Jesus' feet with her hair, a sign of deep humility. She kisses His feet, a gesture of affection and respect. She anoints His feet in gratitude for what He has done for her. Meanwhile, center stage. Our eyes fix on Simon. And I imagine now, He is standing up with His arms folded in complete disdain and disgust. He is shocked. 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 Shocked at what this woman has done. You see, He, He, Simon, would never let a woman like that touch Him. The whole thing in His eyes was disgusting, revolting, Dirty. We're told in the text that Simon starts thinking to himself about Jesus. If this man, Jesus, if he were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is. And he would never let her touch him. And as the curtain falls, Simon, with disdain and disgust, ponders what he has just seen. Act 3. Curtain rises, an after-dinner tale. Now the text said that Simon thought this. If Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. He thought it, he didn't say it. But Jesus is the Son of God. He knew exactly what Simon was thinking. So, embedded in this little short story, there's a parable. It's very short. Jesus turns to Simon and says, Simon, I have a story for you. And Simon says, say on, Master. And here's the story, so short. There was a man, a businessman, who loaned out money. He became a creditor. He loaned out to one man $5,000. He loaned out to another man $500. And in the story Jesus told, that man who loaned out $5,500, 10 times as much to this man, he freely forgave both debts. And I was reading yesterday something I'd never seen before. In the old King James, the old King James, it says he frankly forgave them both. Frankly's old English for freely of grace. He freely and of grace and for no reason at all except for the goodness of his heart. The owner, the creditor, freely forgave both debts. That's the story. Simon, here's the question. Two men were forgiven. One of 5,000. One of 500. Here's the question, Simon. Which one will love the creditor more? There's silence. And the text says, Simon answers cautiously, carefully. I suppose he can smell a trap coming. I suppose it's the man who was forgiven more. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. The one who's been forgiven more is going to be so much more grateful because of how much he owed. And we stop here and ask a question. What 
does it mean? It's not really hard to understand. This woman, this prostitute, this sinner, in the eyes of Simon, when Simon looked at her, he saw a woman with an enormous debt. In Simon's eyes, it's not as if she owes 5000 It's like she owes 50000 or 500000 And that's how he sees her. And when Simon looks in the mirror and he compares himself to her, he says, she owes a half a million compared to her. I owe maybe, I owe maybe five dollars. Because when Simon looked in the mirror, he saw a really good, really moral, really upstanding man. Simon deeply believed he was much better than this woman who was a sinner. I want to stop here and just say, Jesus is not meaning here to teach that, that all sin is equal in its consequences. He's not meaning here to downplay the effects of sexual sin. But this is what Jesus is meaning to teach us. Listen to me. If you owe a debt and you can't pay it, it doesn't matter how much you owe. You got it? If you are flat broke, it doesn't matter whether your debt is $5, 500 5000 50000 half a million, or five million. It doesn't matter if you can't pay. You can't pay. If you owe a debt, and you can't pay it, it really doesn't matter how big the debt is. And here's the truth. Simon, don't you understand? We are all in debt to God. And you may think you only owe a little. And you may think this woman owes a whole lot more. But Simon, you are no more able to pay your debt than this woman is to pay hers. That's the real teaching of this story. Or we can say it another way. Here's the message of the Gospel. We are all in debt. All of us, right? We are all in debt. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. We are all in debt to God because of our sin. And nobody can pay off the least of their sin. Therefore, in the Gospel, God forgives all debtors equally on the basis of the blood of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon is now standing at center stage. He is beginning to sweat. You see, what Jesus means has become painfully clear to him. Question, Bible students, question without looking at your Bible. We all know Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Without looking at your Bibles, who knows the last phrase, the last phrase of verse 22. Romans 3.22. Without looking down, hardly any of us know it. You know what it says? For there is no difference. No difference. That introduces for all of sin. There's no difference between rich and poor. No difference between black and white. No difference between American, South American, African, Asian, Japanese, Korean, Indian, Moroccan, Belgian, Brazilian, Canadian, American. It doesn't matter. Male or female. Watch this. Pharisee or prostitute. 
There is no difference. There's no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As that message sinks in, the curtain falls on Act 3. Act 4. Risky business. Risky business. Jesus now turns and looks at this woman who has been weeping and kissing his feet and anointing him. He looks at this woman and then he looks at Simon and he asks the question, Simon, do you see this woman? That was Simon's fundamental problem. He didn't really see her at all. All he saw was the label prostitute. And he couldn't get past that label. And Jesus is saying, take a look at her. You think you see her, but you don't really see her at all. And then Jesus, then Jesus brings it all to the front. Simon, you invited me to your house, but you gave me no water. She cannot stop watering my feet with her tears. You did not kiss me on the cheek. She cannot stop kissing my feet. You gave me no olive oil to anoint my head. She cannot stop anointing my feet with perfume. You know what Jesus means? Simon, you kept me at arm's length, but she was not ashamed of me. You didn't even bother to show me minimal courtesy, but she lavished her love on me. You know religion, the sacrifices, and the law. She knows none of that. You missed the whole point. She got it. You see, when you just dig down to the bottom of this story, we can say it in one sentence. Simon thought he was better. He thought because of his Pharisaic training. And he thought because of his religiosity. And he thought because of all of his Bible reading. And he thought because of all of his sacrifices and attendance at the temple. And his upstanding moral life. He really thought then in the eyes of God, he must rate higher than a prostitute. When he looked at her, he said, she is a sinner. When Jesus looked at her, he said, she was a sinner. Because Jesus is about to change the tenses of her life. And now listen, Simon can't handle the change i got an important sentence coming up here. So I want you to listen. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. A man who is not deeply committed to anything can never understand somebody who has been transformed by Jesus Christ. A man who is not committed to anything can never understand someone who has been transformed by Jesus Christ. Because Simon was playing it safe. Because he wasn't really committed to anything. He couldn't handle the idea that Jesus had transformed this woman's life. Jesus now speaks again. Look what He says. He says about this woman, Therefore I tell you, her sins which were many. Jesus is not 
sugarcoating this. He's not trying to whitewash the life that she's lived. He's not denying her many sins. He's saying, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Here's the real message, and it's a message for you. And I tell you, I know. I'm thinking of it. I feel it. It's a message for me too. If you think you have been greatly forgiven, you will greatly love God. If you think you have only been forgiven a little, you will only love God a little. All of us know the story of John Newton. Slave traitor. Slave traitor. Miraculously converted by the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He became a pastor. He became a poet. He became a great preacher. And he wrote the greatest hymn ever written in the Christian era. Amazing Grace. Near the end of his life, when he was old and sick and blind, near death, they asked him, Mr. Newton, Mr. Newton, what do you know now and what do you believe? He said, two things I know. I am a great sinner and Jesus is a great Savior. Simon is fidgeting now because the truth is sinking in. You see, he's both right and wrong. He's right. He's right. There was a sinner at the party. But he's wrong about who it is. The woman wasn't the sinner. He was the sinner. Our little drama is almost over. Only one act remains. Act 5. The end of the affair. Jesus now speaks to this woman for the first time. He says three things to her. First, your sins are forgiven. That takes care of her past. He says your faith has saved you. That takes care of her present. And then he says, go in peace. Literally, go into peace. Go into peace. That takes care of her future. He doesn't say to her, don't sell your body. He doesn't have to. She has been set free. What about Simon? We don't know. But what we do know is this careful, cautious, nice, friendly dinner has just blown up in his face. Epilogue. Epilogue. You and me and Simon. Question here at the end. Who's this story about anyway? Is it about Simon? Is it about Jesus? Is it about the woman? Or could it really be about you and me? So here was Simon's problem. He couldn't see the woman. And he couldn't see Jesus because he couldn't see himself. Simon said, I owe Jesus nothing. And so he risked nothing. The woman said, I owe Him everything. And so she risked everything. Here's the application. Your love for the Lord is directly related to your estimate of how greatly you have sinned and how much Jesus has forgiven you. Listen, if you think you're just a little sinner, 
All you really need is a little Savior. You think you're a moderate sinner? All you need is a moderate Savior. But if you think you're a really big sinner, what you need today is a really big Savior. Church people like you and me, we often struggle because we don't feel our sin very greatly. But when our sin seems small to us, our love for Christ cannot be very great. Philip Yancey remarked, quote, Christians get angry at people who sin differently than they do. Oh boy, is that true. So I'm going to read you something now. You tell me if you agree or not. Occasionally, God reaches down and He just dips down to the bottom of the barrel, so to speak. And sometimes He saves very terrible sinners who have done very terrible things who definitely don't deserve saving. Do you agree with that? Do you agree? God sometimes does that. Reaches way down to the bottom to really terrible people who've done terrible things and who don't deserve saving. We all agree with that. Do you know who that really describes? You and me. You and me. You know how I know that? I can prove it to you this way. You think of every lustful thought you've ever had. Every vain imagination you've ever had. Every angry thought you've ever had. How you wanted to get even and make somebody hurt. If you had acted on every evil thought you ever had, if you'd acted them all out, where would you be today? In jail or dead? If you think anything else, you don't understand the truth about who you really are. It is not enough for us to say, God will even save prostitutes and drug dealers and sex traffickers. Because when we say the word even, we are unconsciously putting ourselves up on a higher pedestal. All of us are like this woman. All of us are guilty. All of us are caught. All of us are trapped. Listen to me. Listen. We are all in the same boat. And the boat has sprung a leak. All of us, the whole human race, we are in the same boat. The boat has sprung a leak. The boat is going down. And unless God does something, we are all going to go down to hell together. And the good news of the Gospel is, He did something. He did something. He sent His Son who died on the cross and rose from the dead so that anybody, anywhere, anytime could believe in Jesus and be saved. Do we understand from this story it's either all by grace or it's not by grace at all. So i got to wrap up. Let me just say this. God is willing to save all sorts of sinners. Right? All sorts. All kinds. All varieties. All ages. All cultures. All languages. This is good news for all sorts of sinners. You say, what about this woman? Let me tell you something. In the spiritual life, direction makes all the difference. 
It's not where you've been, but where you're going that matters. This woman now has been forgiven. She's going in a brand new direction. So multitudes, multitudes have taken hope from this story. And if you this morning, if you this morning are wrestling with your own sense of sin and you wonder, you wonder, would Jesus take me in? Come out of darkness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted. Let rescue begin. Come find your mercy. O sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. What did they call Jesus? They called Him the friend of sinners. Aren't you glad this morning? Aren't you glad? He's the friend. We are the sinners. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. He'll save prostitutes. He'll even save church people. It has been well said that when we get to heaven, there will be three surprises. Surprise number one, some people are there we never thought would be there. Surprise number two, some people are not there. We were sure we're going to be there. But the greatest surprise of all when we see Jesus is that we ourselves are there. Saved by His grace. And we will join throughout all eternity with all the saints of all the ages. And we will sing together Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Thank God for His amazing grace. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.